good evening and welcome back to a new season of The Pulse. Later in the show, we bid a sad farewell to one of Asia's most respected foreign correspondents, Anthony Lawrence, who died on the 24th of September at the age of 101. First, though, in a summer of controversies, who would have guessed that one of the biggest would be an individual uttering a few profanities on a day off? It all followed up in July when the pro-Beijing Hong Kong Youth Care Association members used their banners to surround protesting Falun Gong practitioners in the pedestrian area of Sayung Choi Street in Mong Kok. Many at the scene were criticizing the police for simply cordoning off the two battling parties rather than preventing the harassment when one off-duty schoolteacher, Alpias Lam Waitzi, walked by and also remonstrated with the police. Not long after, a video clip edited to highlight Miss Lam's use of a profanity was uploaded to YouTube. <laughs> Ni 所謂說他的後果是比這件事實在西洋菜街這個事件的事件的事件的事件的事件的事件的事件的事件的事件的事件的事件的事件的事件的事件的事件的事件的事件的事件的事件的事件的事件的事件的事件的事件的事件的事件的事件的事件的事件的事件的事
to the Hong Kong Youth Care Association Limited. The organization has been targeting Falun Gong protests for over a year. The Falun Gong says that in July last year, a woman holding a knife even threatened an Epoch Times reporter while the groups were tussling over space. The police said there was no case to investigate. After complaints from the Falun Gong itself, members of the public and legislators, the Food and Environmental Hygiene Department, or FEHD, finally took action, asking both groups to take down their banners. Over the summer, pro-Beijing organizations and individuals increased pressure on Islam for swearing while evading the central issue of what had provoked her protests. On the 4th of August, the Federation of Parent-Teacher Association and Hong Kong Action held a rally in Siam Choi Street, ostensibly to support the police and condemn Islam for swearing at police officers. They wanted her to apologize and to quit her job. Scuffles broke out between her supporters and opponents before the event even started. The Pulse asked for an interview with the Independent Police Complaints Council, or IPCC, regarding how to reduce tensions between the police and the public during public gatherings and demonstrations. The chairman of the IPCC, Jatsu Tong, turned down the interview, saying that not only is he very busy, he'll be very busy in the coming weeks too. Big character posters condemning Mislam were placed near Poiling School of the Precious Blood, at which she teaches. So were funeral banners bearing her name. The school is a stone's throw from Yanjing building, 
where the Hong Kong Youth Care Association has its offices. But slowly, the rhetoric diminished. On the first day of school, just four protesters, claiming not to be associated with any organization, protested outside. At least 20 police officers were there. Barricades were at the ready. Miss Lam was on leave. Yao 挑戰,譬如香港教育操守議會,教師操守議會那裡,他也需要我去答辯,有很多的投訴信,其實我不可以不理,因為人家投訴你,關於你的專業操守,我也需要去辯解。More on that story after the break. 我要求教育局長向我提交報告 你說一個教師在街邊說出口,跟著勞動局的教育局去寫一篇報告出來 the Council on Professional Conduct in Education declined an interview with The Pulse, saying that it can't comment, as the case is still under investigation. However, one experienced teacher with a close understanding of the Council's operation told us that it is previously unheard of for it to be asked to investigate a teacher's behaviour while off-duty, rather than working or teaching. Gumtingwan 其實我們是他們食環處這樣做他完全是一種非法的行為我想問一下香港電台的為什麼他剛才考試要拆一個林公的橫額的他是有什麼違例嗎 
The FEHD tells the Pulse it will continue its enforcement action with the Lands Department under Section 104C of Cap 132 to remove bills and posters displayed without prior permission from the authority on government land unless it is refrained by a court from doing so. Previously, the department had told us that such banners were permitted as long as a protester was present. Now a source in the department tells us that both organisations are now affecting social order and the public, so the government's clamping down. It's a victory for the Youth Care Association. Lumbaisi 為何要堅滅共產黨?為何要堅滅中共?這件事是中國的地方。你在我們自己國家的領土去反我國家,這些都不是反中,原講這些事情。Anthony Lawrence was posted to Singapore as the BBC's Far East correspondent in the late 1950s. A few years later, he came to Hong Kong, where he remained for the rest of his life. For the next several decades, he was an interpreter of and a reporter on Asia for generations of English radio listeners. He was known for emphasizing the human angle of his stories. Later, he became president of the Hong Kong Foreign Correspondents Club. In the words of Britain's Radio Times magazine, he was a man of the old school, courtly, cultured, gentle, polite. No one who knew him would be likely to disagree. We end the show this week with a memorial to him. Uncle Arthur. He had been a very well-known journalist on the Daily Mail in his great days under Northcliffe. He used to come and spend Christmas Day with us, and from the moment when he arrived until the moment he left, he never stopped talking. Mostly it was with my father over a glass of wine, but I loved to listen all about lead stories and rows in the newsroom and how a new paper with a lot of money behind it had started off catastrophically by missing all the trains with its first editions. Already I had long made up my mind to be a journalist, in the blood I suppose.
wanted to become a foreign correspondent and they chose the place as far away as they could think of and that was uh, Singapore. And, uh, so what, what year are we talking? You arrived in Singapore more or less when? 1957. That's right, yes. And I was three years in Singapore and came home on leave. And uh, they said, you've done all right. And now you can have, uh, I forget where it was, somewhere in the West, Amsterdam or something. And uh, I, I, can't, I can't believe this is true, but it is. I, became, I came all over very pompous and said, you can't cover Southeast Asia by sending an ignoramus out there for three years and then replacing him by another ignoramus. You've got to have somebody who stays there a long time and knows everybody. And uh, so they jumped for joy and said, if that's how you feel, we'll move the base up to Hong Kong and you can pop into mainland China. was hard for the office in London to realize was that from Hong Kong you actually had a clearer view of China life than most foreigners living in the Chinese capital itself. They were closely watched and couldn't even visit the provinces without permission. It was my new Chinese assistant in Hong Kong who came excitedly into the office and told me about the thousands of food parcels being sent to relatives across the border. I wouldn't have known about that in Beijing. But she was alerting me to perhaps the biggest famine in the history of the world. So what happened? You found out that these people, presumably relatives of people on the mainland, were, were, were sending parcels out there. Yes, and of course, I didn't rely purely on conversation. I got in touch with the post office, and the post office said, parcels to the mainland, you know, 30,000 went last week, and there's a backlog mounting up. Kowloon, Hong Kong, we like Hong Kong, that's the place for you, Kowloon. It's hard to think I've spent 50 years of my life based on here, although of course as Far East correspondent I had to travel a lot to other places covering the Vietnam War and trouble in Indonesia and so on. Tony Golds has come to represent uh, the best of journalism uh, in his integrity, professionalism, accuracy, and in a word that somebody used a little earlier, compassion. If the BBC was the voice of Britain, then Tony Lawrence was the voice of the BBC in Asia. You judge a man by his friends. And I'm, I'm thankful to say I've got plenty of friends in Hong Kong. Did you make a wish when you blew out the candle? No, I didn't. In retrospect, what wish would you like to have made? that I wish we'd all be given $5,000 US. 
before we leave tonight. <laughs>